Well, good morning, everyone, and good morning to those who are joining online this morning. I invite you to take your Bibles or your phones and scroll or turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, and we'll get there in a moment. Listen to this brief video greeting that is quite iconic at this point from uh, Cornell and Sanda Hudulin uh, from Romania. We'll roll. Greetings, greetings for us and I say We love you. And thank you for everything we are doing for us. I never forget you. We love you. Love, love, love. That is uh, one of my favorite little clips. That was from 10 years ago when I visited them in Romania. That was shot uh, in their living room. Um, there was a snafu with my ticket to fly there at the last minute. I didn't have, they gave me a printed ticket, but the, for some, some reason the ticket wasn't like on their online stuff. And so I got to the gate. They're like, sorry, you're not on this flight. I said, yes, I am. They said, no, you're not. I said, well, here's my ticket. They said, that is a nice looking ticket, but it's not here. So they did some fancy footwork and put me on another airline and I got there. So the theme today is love, love, love. This passage now highlights both the mark of a Christian and something that we as Christians should endeavor to grow in, in every area of our life. This is the son of thunder, as Jesus called him. He has now matured in his walk with Christ. He is no longer calling down fire from heaven to incinerate those he disagrees with. But he is rather referring to all of us as beloved, 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 beloved. And he, the impetuous one, is teaching us now as an elderly man how to love. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, we read this. Beloved, I am writing you. Uh, No new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Remember the contrast, light and darkness. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Right off the bat... John makes a very interesting statement. Is this an old or is it a new commandment? So this morning I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you have them, and or your phone. And I want you to, we're going to take a little excursus this morning. I want to take you to different passages. Uh, These won't be on the screen. You can just listen if you don't have a Bible in front of you. Old commandment or new commandment 
What John is telling us is really important, and it's important for us to follow along. So take your Bible and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Back in the Old Testament, at the very beginning, this is called the Decalogue. Deuteronomy chapter 6. You have a very important statement. This is called the Shema. This is intrinsic to Judaism, to the Jews. Chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Not just in your head. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. At the very center of God's priority is that you are to love God with your entire being. And you are to teach your children to love him with all of their being. Verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as a frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Everywhere. This is key. That we are to love God. With everything that we have. This is not passive. This is not a side comment. This is not something that you just add to the... You know, to the side of your life as you're doing other things and pursuing me, me, me. You are to love God. Now look at how this is developed. We're going to turn to our left to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That little accent at the end puts everything into perspective. You are to love the people around you. I am the Lord. I am the Lord God, the creator, the holy one. I have spoken. End of discussion. New Testament. I'll date myself here. Let your fingers do the walking. Mark. Chapter 12. When you get to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, it's the second second book of the New Testament. 
Mark chapter 12, verse, oh, we'll start in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Jesus, what commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is this. You'll recognize this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You will love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Let's continue. James chapter 2. To your right. James chapter 2. Just one or two more. James chapter 2. Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. That's James. Two more. To your left, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see a pattern here? This is hard baked into the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. And it doesn't go out of style. It doesn't fade away. It is emphasized in the New Testament by Jesus and by the apostles. One more to your left, Romans chapter 13. You will recall that Romans is the great treatise on the gospel, salvation by faith. There's 11 chapters of doctrine that is very dense and rich and beautiful. And then chapter 12 following, he says, now here's how you apply it. Here's how you make this true in your life. Here's how you flesh it out. So we'll look at verse 8. Romans 13, verse 8. Oh, no one anything... Except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall not, uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Think about it. 
If you love your spouse and your neighbor, you're not going to commit adultery. If you love someone, hello, you're not going to kill them. If you love someone, you're not going to steal what belongs to them and not to you. And nor will you covet it. Summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love, verse 10, does no wrong to a neighbor. Love does not wrong other people. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. What I want you to see is that loving two things. Loving God is best expressed by loving people. When we love God, that's vertical, we love people. That's horizontal. That's to the person next to me. And what John is arguing is this is God's heart And now that God's life is in you, that is something we expect to see in a Christian. It is also something, concurrently, as Christians, that we need to grow in. That we need need to repent when we don't do that and resolve to do better. Now... That's how it's an old commandment. It's nothing new. It's not something that would catch them by surprise. If they read their Old Testament, they would know the heart of God. So why does John also say this is something new? This is worth our, in, our investigation I believe it is the one, with a capital O, the one who is modeling it for us, the scope given, and also, and also the Spirit's enabling. So I take you to the Last Supper. I take you to John chapter 13. If you care to turn there, we'll flash it up, but John chapter 13. Let's set the let's set the setting. John begins by telling us that Jesus loved his own. He loved the disciples to the end. Now, depending on which translation you have, it'll be rendered a little bit differently. Because it's a very rich word. Remember, Greek in general is more expressive than English. So Jesus loved them fully. He loved them completely. He loved them without fault. He loved them up until the very end. And now, God's plan from the beginning of the world, from the foundation of the world, is now marching to its fulfillment. Jesus is with his disciples. Jesus does something 
that is so countercultural, and yet its meaning will be lost on us if we don't understand that aspect, but what the fuller context of this is. Listen to what Jesus says. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So what's happening here? Jesus, the rabbi, Jesus, the Lord, wraps a towel around his waist and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. You know who objects to it? Peter, you're not supposed to do this. Remember, you're our fearless leader and you are going to banish the Romans. You see, this act of washing feet, remember there were no Air Jordans then, they had always sandals and there was a lot of dirt and a lot of filth and consequently a lot of smell. So that was left for a servant to do. So Jesus plays the role of a servant. He gets down on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet. He shows them, he demonstrates for them what Christian love looks like. Your rights are set aside. And you love the other person. And you do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But rather, you humbly serve other people. I'd like you to turn again, if you will, to Philippians chapter 2. These are some things that I want you to read in your own Bible. Philippians Chapter 2. This comes right after the book of Ephesians. Philippians chapter 2. This is one of the more profound passages in God's word. Beginning in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So this is not in itself an extraordinary statement. He says... Don't be boastful, don't be arrogant, don't think that you're too big, you're all that, you can't do certain things, but always have the other person in mind. Do nothing, absolutely nothing, out of vain conceit. The significance 
of that statement is what follows. You might be familiar with verses 5 to 11. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he describes what Christ did for us. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Read, Jesus is God. But he humbled himself. So you're going to ask the question, how far do I humble myself? What does Paul say? You see, Jesus humbled himself and he took the form of his own creation. The likeness of his own creation. But not just a person, but a servant. Now, when a baby is born, we don't stand back and say, wow, it's a person. It's a human. We expect that. But with Jesus, we expect the unexpected. Because he's beyond our comprehension. So we need to grasp the fact that Jesus became one of us. And he lived among us. Oh, but he didn't come as a conquering king. Remember, as we do this time of year, he was born with the animals. To a teenage mom. No fanfare. But that, it doesn't end there. You see, Paul is expounding when he says, do nothing from vain conceit. He's expounding what the bar now is. And this is the new commandment part. Jesus, it then says, became obedient to death. Again, for not one of us do we ever make that statement. We expect it. But Jesus, you expect the unexpected. So Jesus became obedient to death, the sinless one. But it doesn't stop there. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. At the time, the most excruciating, the most humiliating form of death. The one who knew no sin became sin for you. For you. He didn't just come and live an easy life. Oh, he had nowhere to lay his head. He was contradicted by sinners virtually every day of his life. And of course, he was betrayed. And he collapsed under the weight of his cross, which really was your cross and my cross. And he submitted himself to the most wicked and cruel punishment of the day. You might know this. The word excruciating is formed. X from Crucifixion from the cross. So when we say something is excruciating, it means we can't even describe it. It's so bad. Physically or even emotionally, it's like this is, I, it has to stop. 
And I can't adequately explain it. It's this is painful. And so this is what Paul is saying. Do nothing out of vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfishness. Love the other person. But before you get comfortable, there's your example. There's the bar. You know what that means? You will never arrive. But don't take that wrong. There's always room to improve. This is the newness of it. When Jesus gets down to wash the disciples' feet, he is about to be betrayed. And he is about to die an excruciating death. So when John says this is a new commandment, it's brought to us afresh. And remember the Good Samaritan. Jesus redefined for the Jews who your neighbor really is. Remember that one? Where the star of the story isn't even a Jew? Where two Jewish religious leaders walked right past a guy who was dying. But they were too busy. Well, he's not my neighbor. Because he's a Samaritan. He doesn't look like me. He doesn't act like me. He's not like me. And besides, I'm a religious leader. Please don't bother me with these side issues. I have a religious service to perform. It was the Samaritan who had his heart in the right place, who did the obvious thing, which is render aid to a person who was dying, who didn't walk across the other side of the road to stay away from him, but he rendered aid. And he made sure he was taken care of. Put it to my account, if anything else is needed. So saints, when John says this is old and it's new, that's what he's saying. This is an old one. We know this. But now it's brought into sharper focus. Things are a little different now. The light has come. Remember John chapter 3, verse 16? You probably know it. For God so loved the world. What about verse 19? Men love their sin. They love their darkness rather than light, so they don't want anything to do with it. But Jesus says the light is now here. And you as a believer in Jesus Christ, God lives in you. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So keep in step with him and love your neighbor. These tests that John puts before us, the love of God that is in you. Remember, he talks about the righteousness of God and now the love of God. This should be true in every believer and we need to grow it. We need to develop it. Look at what Paul states elsewhere. Romans chapter 5. I actually have a slide for this one. Romans chapter 5 verse 5, the last half. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God has poured his love into us. He hasn't just demonstrated it to us at Calvary, which is astonishing and remarkable. 
But when we believe in Jesus, it's like God just pours himself into us. He's poured his love into us. Now he says, live in light of that. Live like that. If we allow a bias or hatred towards others, we show our true selves. And when we harbor these grudges and bitterness and anger, it's easy to do. We choke that fellowship with God. Because God is light. And as you'll say later on, God is love. That's the love of God in you. Now let's look at the love of God through you. First John addresses both the life of God in you. That is, I see God's love in you. But he says, we need to grow in this. We need to show it. We need to demonstrate this. Let's look at some practical applications of this. We could stay here all day and talk about ways that we could better love our neighbors. But let's, let's look at a handful that are highly applicable. And I would venture to guess that most of us have some work to do on this. We could grow in it. So this is not Colin bashing you with my Bible by any means. I am your brother in Christ and I am acknowledging that beginning with Colin, I need to grow in this. So let's look at these. Ask yourself these questions. Because it's not good enough to be a hearer of the word and not a doer. It's not good enough to say, well, that's a nice truth. Thank you for that wonderful sermon. And then go off and don't make changes. So, questions for application, questions to ponder. Who can I be patient with? Anybody in your... <laughs> Not all of you can hear George's running commentary. I can. <laughs> the answer was everybody. Um, who can I be patient with? There are people who rub us the wrong way. Let's be honest. There are people whose personalities are different. They approach things differently. Whatever it is, they have an annoying habit. Who can I be patient with? Who can I encourage? What a tremendous way to love those around you. To give a word of encouragement. To take time out of your day. To write a thought down, send it to someone, call them, talk with them, whatever it is. But the scripture actually commands us to encourage one another. I don't need to tell you that we live in very tense and stressful times. A word of encouragement, a well-placed, thought, well-thought-through word of encouragement, I promise you will mean a lot. Who can I forgive? Are there people who have wronged you? I'm sure the answer is yes. 
Ephesians chapter 4. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's easy. It's easy to ruminate, to stew, to think about the other person, what he or she did. And when I say this, I am not minimizing the true hurt that others have and can inflict upon us. But what happens is it becomes so big in our minds. And before we know it, we all know it's Thanksgiving time, it's the holidays, and there are these long-standing family feuds, and sometimes it's been going on for so long, no one even knows how it got started. Who can I pray for? Look, you can do this in the quietness and the privacy of your own home, your own car, go on a walk, whatever it is. Praying for someone, that matters. Pray for people. Perhaps you let them know I'm praying for you. But pray for them. Who can I support? Saints, I am fairly confident within your circle of friends, you will know of people that need support right now. In so many different ways. How can I proactively step back from my own troubles, my own worries, what things that I'm thinking about, the people that I just know. This person could use help here. Or this person could use a little encouragement. Who can I get to know? Maybe bounce out of your own friend group and meet someone you don't know. Here, your neighborhood, wherever. This is just to prime the pump. What are some things that we can do to proactively love one another? And remember, when Jesus speaks about loving one another, he wound up nailed to a cross, covered by his own saliva and blood. This is not, I don't know what the word is, like this is not um, like weak. This is strong. Love pushes through things. When Paul echoes Jesus, who echoes Moses, and says love people, well, what was Paul's experience? I mean, everywhere he went, he had the tar beaten out of him. Sometimes left for dead. I mean, honestly, he was told from the very beginning, you're going to suffer for this. The calling that I place on your life, you are going to suffer for it. It began with the disciples saying, being a little suspicious, and I don't blame them. But this is Paul. When the biblical writers talk about loving one another, history tells us all of the apostles died a martyr with the exception of John, who died an old man alone in exile. Love is fierce. Love is strong. It believes the best. And it loves even when it is uncomfortable to do so. Peter picks that up in First Peter chapter 4. He's like, what good is it if you love people who love you? Well, that's easy. 
the guy who was crucified by request upside down says, well, you got to love the people who do bad things to you as well. Love, love, love. One last thing. You might have seen in the email this Monday, 7 p.m., for those who are interested, not in this building, but actually in the small sanctuary. A little town hall meeting for us to have the opportunity to express our perspective on COVID and government mandates and so on and so forth. And here's why. There is a divergence of views which are held very deeply. And I do not want, as your shepherd, for us to be fractured or for our union to be broken, our unity. So we're giving the opportunity, and this will be the first, I'm sure, of multiple, to come, have the opportunity for a few minutes to share your peace. And for those who are interested, there's already tables set up to talk. The goal is not to convince anybody of anything or to promote a certain perspective. But step number one is to talk with one another and to see the other person actually as human. And more than that, your brother or sister in Christ. So the option is open. It's an invitation. If you're interested, this Monday, 7 p.m., right over there. And like I said, we'll... Surely do more as well. But I ask you to please be in prayer for that and for our unity in general. So I leave you with simply what Cornell did such a good job of saying 11 years ago now. Love, love, love. Love like Christ did. Let's pray. We always take time to be very clear about the good news of Christ, the gospel, which is the best news and the most important news that we could ever herald. Christ Jesus died for sinners. We believe the scriptural testimony which is unyielding and very consistent. And in our moments of lucidity, it is absolutely true. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The plea in scripture is to be reconciled to God, who is thrice holy, who is just, who is righteous. The good news is, as we have seen, God sent his son to be the savior of the world. Jesus Christ, the son of God, lived among us, died for us, took our sins upon himself. And just as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man was lifted up that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. My question to you is, have you turned to the Lord? Have you called upon the name of the Lord? 
Have you confessed and acknowledged the simple fact that you're a sinner and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? It is not Jesus plus your best efforts. It is Jesus plus nothing. The one who lived a perfect life, who fulfilled the law in every way and yielded his life on the cross. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Fellow saints, there is much to divide us these days. Let us be unswerving and unyielding in our intent to love one another. To love our neighbor, which has been expanded by Jesus, or I should say corrected by Jesus, to not just be your friend group or the people that are like you in different ways, but it's actually everyone who come, that you come across. May we be worthy of the calling we have been given and worthy of the name bestowed upon us. Let us love one another and let us love our neighbor. Selah. With gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the one that brings us all together. The diversity that is in this room and should be in every church. Different backgrounds, different interests, different professions, different ages, different everything. But as believers in Christ, we are now members of your body. A new nation, a holy nation, brought together by the blood of Christ. Please encourage us in the deepest part of who we are and convict us where necessary. Let us owe nothing to one another but to love one another deeply. Refresh us and remind us every day of your deep love for us. So that as we live in freedom, as we know who we are in you, as we are convinced and persuaded and assured and encouraged and confident in your unconditional love for us, oh, how we are freed to love other people. All of these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.